Did you, did you guys know I could do that? That's a, that's a secret talent of mine. I was wondering why I didn't get an envelope a second ago. And then I, uh, and then I remembered that I was going to go on stage and solve a Rubik's Cube for three minutes. And, I, and that's, that's probably why I don't get envelopes. Um, and that's fine. Uh, today we're going to be in Matthew 6. And in case you're wondering why I solved a Rubik's Cube in relation to Matthew 6, so what I'm going to be talking today is about kind of a, a secret talent that Christ wants us to have, right? So we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through it. We started with the Beatitudes, right? This beautiful little list of things um, that, that Christians are supposed to look like. And this is, this is teaching us about the character of a Christian. That is so intimidating. <laughs> this is telling us about the character of a Christian, the Beatitudes. And then we move in to salt and light. We're talking about salt and light. We're talking about the influence that a believer is supposed to have, that a Christian, a follower of Christ is supposed to have. And we talk about the law. We talk about some really difficult things, right? We talk about anger. We talk about lust. We talk about the results of those things, which ultimately is murder and adultery. We talk about the law and how a Christian is supposed to be righteous in the world. And Jesus is going to continue to talk about righteousness now in Matthew chapter 6. But this righteousness takes on a kind of more religious tone. This is Jesus telling us how to be religious in the world righteously. You think that being religious was something that we wouldn't be able to mess up, yet here he is. So how are Christians to be religious in the world correctly? Because I, I hear some Christians talk about how they're Christians, but they're not really religious, right? Like Christianity isn't really a religion, and it is, and we are supposed to be religious. So we can't just be morally righteous and not religious, and we can't just be religious and not morally righteous. So these two things have to work together. And Jesus is going to tell us about the, about the second one now. Uh, so let's, let's, read through, um, let's read through the whole thing that we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be talking about Matthew 6, 1 through 18. So let's read the whole thing right now. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the, as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You can say it with me. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. We all know it. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disconfigure their faces, they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
I think at this point, we're going to have to do away with the idea that I'm going to be done by 12. I keep looking at the clock. I have 13 minutes if I'm going to be done by 12. So we, we might go a little long, and that's going to be okay. We're going to be fine. Promise. So Jesus talks here by ta- starts here by talking about giving to the poor. If we go back to verses 1 through 4. He starts off talking about giving to the poor. Some of your Bibles may say giving alms. I think that's a better phrase because it's a religious phrase, right? This is one of the things that religious people did, particularly Jews did. And it wasn't just giving to the poor, like giving money to beggars, right? It was helping people out that needed help, right? Someone, someone's having trouble getting up on their feet and you help them. Someone doesn't have any land. Maybe you, maybe you lend them some land, let them work on some of your land until they can pay for their own land. Things like this. Um, and if you were here when I preached last time, and, and I just mentioned a second ago, Jesus calls us to be salt and light, right? To be people of influence, to let everybody see who we are and, 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 and glorify God through us. But now he's telling us to be secret about it. And that's kind of confusing. But I don't think the focus here is on secrecy. In verses 1 through 4, I don't think the focus here is on secrecy. I don't think Jesus is saying, dude, I want to have a really secret club. I want us to have as many secrets as possible. So whenever you do stuff, make it a secret so that only I know about it so we can have a bunch of secrets, right? I don't think that's what Christ is saying. I think he's saying, you know what? You guys have a pride problem. And he is right. It is not hard for Jesus to see that we have a pride problem. He's looking around, and he sees, he sees these Pharisees going into the synagogues, going into the temples. They see a beggar, and they can just, he can just hear the rattling of the coins as they take them out of their pocket. And now, I mean, you, you, you hear stories about celebrities that raise money for charity, right? And they go on, like, this tour on talk shows talking about how much money they raise for charity. And it happens in the church. Preachers and ministers come back from mission trips and talk about all the cool stuff that they did. Not, not about the work that, that God was doing in the place that they were necessarily, but, but throwing in there some really cool stuff that they got to do. And I come up here, and I want to make you guys laugh sometimes. I want to entertain you guys sometimes. I want to say things that you think are really profound sometimes. And I've talked to Dave, and I've talked to other people out here, because depending on what minute you ask me, I can't tell you that it's not about me sometimes. I can't tell you that my head and my heart aren't in the right place all the time. Depending on what minute you ask me, I'm so polluted by this pride I have, I want to make it about me, and Christ says it's not hard for me to notice this. So when you give to the poor, when you give alms, when you're helping people out, make sure that your pride isn't getting in the way of of what you are ultimately doing for, for the glory of God. Don't let your pride get in the way with that. And if the way you do that is by making sure that no one else can even see you, that even your left hand doesn't know what your right is doing, then that's how you do it. Then that's what you do. And by the way, you may notice the beginning of verse 2, right after the thus, he says, when you give alms, when you give to the needy. Not if, but when. In Jesus' time, giving alms was considered a religious virtue, and everyone that was religious understood that this is something they were supposed to do. So this is not even something that Jesus necessarily tells us to do in these verses. It is, it is such a basic assumption to Jesus that we're already doing this. Are we? I know we do our Compassion International offering. 
I know we do, I know we do a lot of great community work. This church is, is particularly awesome. TBC does an incredible job with community work, and other churches in the area do too. But are we doing this? Are we serving people? Are we helping people in practical ways? Putting our own time, energy, resources on the line to help people? I think maybe this is an idea that's gotten a bit lost. Right? Whenever I do something good, whenever I help someone out, I kind of have this feeling that like I've gone above and beyond. Right? Like I did something cool, and I wasn't even supposed to do that, but I did, and look how cool I am. And it makes me feel good because I feel like I went above and beyond. And Jesus is saying, no, this is just a basic assumption. This is what you should be doing already. The problem shouldn't be that you aren't doing it. The problem should be that you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But before we can even make sure we're doing it for the right reasons, we have to make sure that we're doing it. That isn't what Jesus is talking about necessarily, but I think it's a really important takeaway. This is something that's really central to how we follow Christ. And the reason, the reason that this is something that is necessary and not just something that's kind of optional, not to our salvation, but to our, to our Christian life, is because we have been so, if we have had God's love and mercy and righteousness poured onto us, so much so that we have been pulled from the sinful state that we were before, and now we have this relationship with God, if we felt that love, we felt that grace, we felt that mercy, we should be oozing it all over the place. We should be spilling it all over the place, and people should be covered in it around us. And if we aren't doing that, then what does that say about our relationship with God? I think this is really important stuff. I don't want to make it sound too important, but I think it's really important. And we can move on. Verses 5 through 15, Christ talks about prayer. I think sometimes in this section we see the Lord's Prayer and we get all excited. It's the Lord's Prayer, guys. It's the coolest prayer. It's like a perfect little prayer, and I love it, and it's great. You don't have to put it up there. It's fine. And we forget sometimes what comes right before and right after it. And really, to me, I think, the stuff that comes right before it and right after it is, is, is I'm not going to say cooler because I might get in trouble, but I think it's cooler. Yeah, it is. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites in verse 5. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I think these verses are really big. I think these verses are really important. They're in the Bible, that's why. What, what I, one of the things I love about this first part is that it doesn't need a whole lot of translating into modern terms. You can kind of get it on a base level. Go to your room, shut your door. This is stuff we say now, right? My parents told me this probably a million times because as a kid I was loud and annoying, which I know none of you can relate to. Right? But Jesus is making two, two main points here. He's saying it should be, prayer should be private. Okay? Now, communal prayer is important. We all just prayed together just a minute ago for something that's very important that's going on right now. Over the last several weeks, this church has been praying communally 
because we've been going through some really rough times, really rough times as a church. Communal prayer is really important, but the majority of our prayer should be taking, should be one-on-one time with God, shouldn't it? We're alone way more than we're here. So when you have something important and you have something personal to talk to someone else about, you don't go to them at some sort of social event and just start screaming it at them. You get them, you get them in private. You get them one-on-one. You say, look, I'm going through something right now. I need help. I need to talk to someone about it. God is only asking for the same thing. He's only asking for that level of personal connection in our conversations with him. And then the second point is in verse verse 7. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many words. It doesn't matter what vocabulary you use or how long you pray when you pray. God doesn't want big, long, fancy prayers. He wants your prayers. And I do this too. I I have this habit of of whenever I pray, I have like these phrases that I just kind of fit together. It's like different puzzle pieces, right? And, and it's certain words, it's certain phrases, it's a certain vocabulary, and I put them together in different ways sometimes to meet whatever need I'm having at that moment. And it's not sincere. It loses sincerity. God is saying, look, just, just pray. Just talk to me. If you're a kid and you hurt yourself, you run up to your parents and you tell them that you're hurt, and then they tell you how, how to fix it, or they help you. And God is just wanting the same thing. He's saying, tell me you're hurt. Tell me why you're hurting. Right? He wants us to come to him when we're scared, when we're hurting, when we're broken, when we're angry, when we're hateful, when we're struggling with sin, when we feel separated from him. That's the times that we need to be going to him most. He wants sincerity. He wants that real conversation with us. Verse 8, your father knows what you need before, him, before you ask him. So what's the point of us praying at all if he already knows what we're going to say? He wants sincerity. He wants a relationship. If you're never real, if you're never sincere with God, you don't have a relationship with him. This is super important stuff. And at the end, in verse 14, in verse 14 and 15, Jesus throws in like a little grenade, right? He's like, by the way, if you forgive others their trespasses, God will forgive you. If you don't, then he won't forgive you. And then he just throws it out there, just and everybody's like, wait, what? And he's like, by the way, fasting. And I love it and I hate it when Jesus does this. But there's some really good stuff here, 14 through 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We've got to be careful not to get this backwards, because it's not like God is standing up in heaven, sitting, whatever, however he, whatever posture. He's just hanging out in heaven. He's waiting for you to forgive everyone else hard enough so that he can forgive you. That's backwards. I don't think that's right. In fact, I'm fairly confident that's not right, because that's weird. I think what Christ is saying here is similar to what I was saying just a minute ago. If God has poured his forgiveness onto you for the eternal crime of sin, why aren't you spilling that forgiveness out on others? So Christ isn't saying that, that forgiveness is some sort of prerequisite for getting saved. 
What he's saying is that if you are not sweating forgiveness and love, if you are not spilling it all over the place, then maybe it's because you haven't experienced it. And you should. You need to. A few years ago, close to three years ago now, I'll spare, I'll spare details just because it's not, it's not super important to the point I'm making. But someone did, someone did something to me that was very hurtful in a lot of different ways. And it messed me up a little bit. And I was angry and I was hurt, felt betrayed. And that carried over into my relationships with other people, into my relationship with God, to the way I lived my life when I was by myself, how I saw myself. And it hurt. And I had trouble forgiving that because the person that did it never sought forgiveness. To this day, I don't even think that there is a single cell of their brain that thinks that what they did was wrong or that cares. Forgiveness is not necessarily for the sake of the person that you are forgiving. Christ is telling us that forgiveness is important because it destroys yourself. You harbor this resentment, you harbor this hatred, you harbor this anger. We've talked about this. This leads to destruction. This leads to more pain. We have to be able to forgive. If we can't, then who will? If you're harboring resentment, if you're harboring unforgiveness, get rid of that, man. Get rid of that. It's not worth it. And it's hard. It's hard to forgive people, especially if they don't have any interest in, in asking for your forgiveness. But, but for your sake and for the sake of your relationship with God, you have to. And in verse 16 through 18, last three verses, he goes on to talk about fasting. Now, if, if giving alms is a dying fad in the church as some sort of religious virtue, fasting is like dead and decomposed, right? It's like rolling in its grave by now. I don't think that fasting is something that really crosses our minds that often at all. It's certainly not something that crossed my mind very often. But I think one of the reasons maybe that we don't talk about fasting that much, that we don't deal with this that much is because we don't necessarily understand it. And Jesus isn't necessarily talking about just fasting here. He's, he's making kind of the same point that he's been making. We'll get to that, but first I want to talk about fasting. I don't think that necessarily we understand fasting the correct way, and I could be wrong about this, so feel free to disagree with me. Argue with me later. Don't yell at me. I'll cry. But this is, but I think, I think, we, I think we don't necessarily understand fasting correctly. So here's, here's my theory. And I've looked into this a lot, so it's not just, you know, I woke up one morning and thought, hey, this is what fasting is. I've looked into this. I think fasting is the idea that you take something that is usually very important to you, takes up your time, takes up your energy, and you put it to the side for a minute. 
and you use that time to focus on God. You take some of your priorities and you knock them down a couple rungs on the ladder. Sometimes, if you're in a relationship with someone of the romantic variety, if you know what I'm getting at, I don't know if you are or not. I don't know if you have been. You, you, you probably will be at some point. And here's, here's the cool thing. Guys, guys, show of hands who likes playing video games. Chris, put your hand up. Chris Renard, put your hand up. There it is. You guys like playing video games. I like playing video games too. Let me tell you something. When you're in a relationship, the amount of time that you spend on video games is going to be directly proportional to how successful your relationship is. There is nothing that I love more than going home at the end of the day and just playing a game of Madden because that's probably the only place I'll ever get to see the Texans win a Super Bowl. And there's nothing more relaxing than that. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes whenever my day is starting to wind down a little bit, sometimes whenever my day is, I've got to be careful because she's here. Sometimes my beautiful, lovely girlfriend contacts me about wanting to do something that doesn't involve Madden at all. And, and you know what? It's not like I sacrifice something to put away Madden for a minute and instead spend time with her, go out, do something fun, hang out, whatever. It's not like I'm making some grand sacrifice. I want to. I will gladly give up Madden to spend time with her because I care about her. Our relationship is important to me. Have I used the phrase, God is only asking for the same thing enough times yet? God is only asking for the same thing. So maybe that looks like food. Maybe it doesn't. But I'll tell you, I think, I think one thing it can look like is what my eyes meet first every morning and what they look at last every night. Evan just texted me. I have a text from Evan right now. I got distracted, and I'm standing on stage preaching. We put these things away and we say, you know what, God, these things are important to me. Maybe I can't even live without these things in a real way. But right now I'm putting this away because I need you to see that you are the priority here. You are more important than those things. I think this is the idea that we should focus on when it comes to fasting. I think this makes it easier for us to think about in our modern terms, right? I'm a little guy. I have a fast metabolism. I go to the gym. If I go a day without eating, I waste away. I turn to dust. I get thanos if I just stop eating for a day. In high school, in, in 11th grade, right? A lot of you guys are in 11th grade. I was the same height, about 5'10", 5'11", same height I am now. I weighed 60 pounds less than I do now. I eat a lot of food, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I exercise a lot. If I go a day without eating, I feel like that's probably going to be a really bad thing for me. And maybe, maybe that's a good reason that I should fast from food for a day or two every now and again. But I don't think that that's the point that God is making. I don't think the point that God is making is food-specific. In Jewish tradition, it was. But I think for us now, it, it has to do with priority. But that isn't even what Jesus is talking about. I got a few minutes left, so I got to move through this kind of fast, all right? 
Come on. Work with me here, you guys. He isn't just talking about fasting. He's talking about something more broad. Jesus is, out, Jesus is out here walking around. He's seeing people that are fasting and making sure that everyone else has to hear about it all the time. Like a guy that does CrossFit, these people are walking around with fasting written on their face. They're talking about how their fast is going. They're talking about how much they fast. And Jesus is saying, look, what is the point? Are you fasting for these other people? Or are you fasting for God? Because if you're fasting for these other people, then you got your pat on the back. And God isn't going to give you anything else for it. If you're fasting for God, no one else needs to know about it. You know, don't, you don't have to keep it a secret. If someone asks you why you're not eating lunch, you can be like, oh, I'm fasting right now. That's fine. Don't lie to people. But they don't have to know. They don't have to know about it. It's the same thing we've been talking about. You have these kind of three different sections... And it's the same concept. The only way I turn it into three different sections is by going on tangents. Jesus is using different images to talk about what he's talking about. Are we giving? Are we praying? Are we fasting? And if so, are we doing those things for the right reasons? So this goes deeper than these three things, right? It goes into our worship. It goes into our sermons. Right? Am I up here trying to, trying to create profound thoughts to have an impact on you guys, or am I doing it because I want you to think that I'm smart? I don't know. i got a sinful heart. i got a broken heart. Jesus is giving us the being righteous for dummies talk, and that's us. We're the dummies. I'm the dummy. We're dummies because we found a way to do righteous thing, religious things like pray fast and give alms, and we found a way to make it about us. And it's poisonous, and it's really easy to do. And I think we do this all the time still. When I came back to the States, I'm running out of time, so I'll, I'll make this quick. But I, I grew up overseas. My, my, my parents were missionaries. A lot of you guys know this already, but some of you don't. My parents were missionaries. I grew up overseas in Europe, and we, and we, we evangelized with people. We planted churches. Um, and it was really awesome. It was a great experience because you would have people, we would have baptisms, and you would have people that were uh, my age at the time, like 13, 14, 15 years old. And then you would have like a 90-year-old woman, and they would all be getting baptized together, and they would all be bawling. And it would be crazy. To them, they would just be bawling because of the animosity that their family might feel towards them, or because of how long they feel they've lived without this wonderful love of Christ. And it was so sincere, it was so real. And I came back to the states, and uh, not TBC, but a lot of other churches that we went to, and we went to a bunch of different churches. My dad spoke at them. They were just they. Were, there were a lot of people that were just there. You know? Does that make sense? There were a lot of people that were just there and that were singing the songs and sometimes they put their hands up in the songs and sometimes they do these little dance and they were just there. I'm looking around at these people and, and, and I worry, I don't know their hearts, but I worry that they're just here. 
it's easy to let this stuff become about us or about going through the motions, right? And God wants us to go to church. He wants us to worship. He wants us to pray. He wants us to do these things, but he wants us to do them for the right reasons, right? Your heart has to be in the right place too. Are you just here? You know, are you just here right now or are you really, are you really in it? Are you really waiting for the Spirit to do something to you? Are you really in these songs? Are you really feeling the words? That song, So Will I. Oh my gosh, that song gets me every time, man. That song gets me every time. I'm going to start getting teary-eyed just thinking about it. So I won't. I'll just talk. There's a part in the song where I grew up on the mission field. I came back to the States, and my life was frustrating because I came back to the States right before college. I started going to college at UMHB. I didn't even know what Ben and Jerry's was, and now I'm supposed to, like, connect with people my age in this country, right? I am totally out of the culture. And so I kind of had this resentment in my heart for my parents and for, and for God for making me grow up like that. And there's a line in this song, So Will I, that says, If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. And I sing that line, and every single time I do, wells up my, tear with, my, my eyes with tears. Every time. This stuff can transform you. This stuff can hit you hard. But you can't just show up. You got to be about it. You can't just be morally righteous and not religious. You can't just be religious and not morally righteous. And you can't just do these things without the right reasons. All right, I've gone way over. Well, not really. I've only gone two and a half minutes over, but it's almost 12.15. (laughs) Um, If you guys have time, there's questions at your tables. If not, take a picture of those questions. And we're meeting on Wednesday for community groups. We can talk about some of those in our small groups if any of them are interesting to you at all. Um, But I want to pray for us real fast. And um, yeah, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for another chance to talk to these guys. Talk to these awesome people. God, the way their hearts break whenever you, whenever one of us is hurting, is incredible, God. These people care about each other. These people are a community. I'm not sure how many I've seen like it, but God, please keep it strong. God, I pray if someone's just here, if someone's just coming here, maybe they've just been coming here for a while, God, let let this experience transform them. Let it be something I say or something that Dave says or Megan or anybody else. Let it be a song. Let it be any person out here. God, do an awesome thing with this church. I love you so much, God. Be with us for this next week guide us in your name. Amen. Thank you all.